Chapter 4 Developing the Box Theory After my frightening experience with Jones and Laughlin and my more unfortunate experience with Texas Gulf producing, I sat down to assess my position. By now I had been scared and beaten by the market, enough to appreciate that I should not regard the stock market as a mysterious machine from which if I were lucky fortunate could be extracted like the jackpot in a slot machine. I realized that although there is an element of chance in every field of life, I could not base my operations on luck. I could be lucky once, maybe twice, but not constant. No, this was not for me. I must rely on knowledge. I must learn how to operate in the market. Could I win at bridge without knowing the rules? Or in a chess games without knowing how to answer my opponent's move? In the same way, how could I expect to succeed in the market without learning how to trade? I was playing for money and the game in the market was against the keenest expert. I could not play against them and expect to win without learning the fundamentals of the game. And so I started, first I examined my past experiences on one hand using the fundamental approach. I was wrong. On the other hand using the technical approach, I was right. Obviously the best method was to try to repeat the successful approach I had used with Texas Gulf producing. It was not easy. I sat with my stock table for hours each evening trying to find another stock like it. Then one day I noticed a stock called MNM Woodworking. None of the financial information service could tell me anything about much about it. My broker had never heard of it. Yet I remained obstinately interested because its daily action reminded me of Texas Gulf producing. I started to watch it carefully. In December 1955, the stock rose from about 15 to 23 at the year end. After a five-week lull, its trading volume increased to its price resumed its advance. I decided to buy 500 share at 26. It continued to rise and I held on, watching its movement intently. It keep moving upward and its volume of trading was constantly high. When it reached 33, I sold it and took a profit of 2866. I was happy and excited not so much because of the money but simply because of I had bought M&M Wood working. As I had bought Texas Gulf producing pure, purely on the basis of its action in the market. I knew nothing about it nor could I found out very much. Yet I assumed from its continuing rise and high volume that some people knew a lot, lot more about it than I did. This proved to be correct. After I had sold it, I found out from the newspaper that the steady rise had been due to a merger which was being secretly negotiated. It was eventually revealed that another company planned to take over M&M Woodworking for $35 a share and this offer was accepted. This also meant that although I was in complete ignorance about the behind the scene deal, I had only sold out two points under the high. I was fascinated to realize that by my buying 
based purely on the stock's behavior enabled me to profit from a proposed merger without knowing anything about it. I was an insider without actually being one. This experience did more than anything to convince me that the purely technical approach to the market was sound. It meant that if I studied price action and volume disregarding all other factors, I could get positive result. I now begin to try to work from this point of view. I concentrate on a close study of price and volume and try to ignore all rumors, tips or fundamental information. I decided not to concern myself with the reason behind a rise. I figured that if some fundamental change for the better take place in the life of a company, this soon shows up in the rise price and volume of its store. Because many people are anxious to buy it. If I could train my eyes to spot this upward change in its early stages as in the case of M&M Woodworking, I could participate in the stock's rise without knowing the reason for it. The problem was how to detect these changes. After much thinking, I found one criterion that was to compare stock with people. This is how I began to work it out. If a beauty were to jump on the table and do a wild dance, no one could be particularly astonished. That is the sort of characteristic behavior people have come to expect from her. But in a dignified matron were suddenly to do the same. This would be unusual and people would immediately say this there is something strange here. Something has happened. In the same way, I decided that if a usually inactive stock suddenly became active, I would consider this unusual. And if it is also advanced in price, I would buy it. I would assume that somewhere behind, out of the ordinary moment, there was a group who had some good information. By buying the stock, I would become their silent partner. I tried this approach. Sometime I was successful, sometime not. What I did not realize was that my eyes were not sufficiently trained yet and exactly when I was started to feel confident I could operate on my theory. I was in for a rude awakening. In May 1961, I noticed a stock called Pittsburgh Metallurgical which at that time was quoted at 67. It was a fast moving dynamic stock and I thought it would continue to move up rapidly. When I saw its increased activity, I bought 200 share for a cost total cost of 13,483. I was so sure of my judgment that I threw all caution overboard. And when the stock contrary to my expectation began to weaken, I thought this was just a small reaction. I was sure that after a slight drop in was set for another big upward move. The move was there alright, but it was in the wrong direction. Ten days later, Pittsburgh Metallurgical stood at 57. I sold it. My loss was 2023. Something was obviously wrong. Everything clearly pointed to the stock as the best in the market at that time and still no sooner had I bought it than it dropped. And what was more disillusioning, no sooner did I sell it than it started to move up. <clears throat> Trying to find an explanation, I examined the stock's previous movement and discovered that I had bought it at the top of an 18-point rise. 
this was as much as the stock could contain for the time being almost at the very point that i put money in it i started to drift downward it was evident that i had bought the right stock at the right time, wrong time looking back i could see this very clearly i could see exactly where why the stock had performed the way it did afterward the question however was how to judge a movement at the time it happens it was a simple straightforward problem but it was complex in its enormity i already knew that book systems did not help balance sheet were useless information was suspect and wrong clenching at the stock i decided to move an extensive study of individual stock movement how do they act what are the characteristic of their behavior is there any pattern in their fluctuations i read books i examined stock tables i inspected hundred of chart as i studied them i began to learn thing about stock movement which i had not seen before i started to realize that stock movements were not completely haphazard the stock did not fly like balloon in any direction as if attracted by the magnet they had a defined upward or downward trend which once established tend to continue within this trend stock moved in a series of frames or what i begin to call boxes they could oscillate fairly constantly between a low and a high point the area which enclosed enclosed this up and down moment represent the box or frame these boxes begin to exist very clearly for me this was a beginning of my box theory which was to lead to a fortune this is how i applied my theory when the boxes of a stock in which i was interested stood like a pyramid on top of each other and my stock was in the highest box i started to watch it i could bounce between the top and the bottom of the box and i was perfectly satisfied once i had decided on the dimensions of the box the stock could do what it liked but only within that frame in fact if i did not bounce up and down inside that box i was worried no bouncing no movement meant it was not a lively stock and if it was not a lively stock i was not interested in it because that meant it would probably not rise dynamically take a stock which was within the box 45 upon 50 box it could bounce between those figure as often as it liked and i would con- still consider buying it if however it fell to 44 and a half it i eliminate it as a possibility why because anything below 45 meant it was falling back in a lower box and this was all wrong i wanted it only if it was moving into the higher box i found that the stock sometimes stay for week in one boxes i did not care how long it stayed in its box as long as it did and did not fall below the lower frame figure i observed for instance then that when a stock was in the 45 upon 50 box it might read like this 45.47 49.50 45.47 
This means that after reaching a high at 50, it could react to a low at 45, then close every day at 46 or 47. And I was quite happy. I was still within its box. But of course, the moment I was constantly watching for was an upward thrust, thrust toward the next box. If this occurred, I bought the stock. I did not find my any fixi fixed rule as to how this take place. It just has to be observed and instantly acted upon. Some volatile eager stock moved into another stock within hours. Other took days. If the stock acted right, it started to push from its 45.50 box into another upper box. Then its movement began to read something like this 50, 48, 52, 50, 55, 51, 50, 53, 52. It was now quite clearly established itself in its next box, the 50 upon 55 box. Do not misunderstand me on this. These are only example. What I had to decide was the range of the boxes. This of course varied with different stock. For instance, some stock moved in a very small frame, perhaps not more than 10% each way. Other wide swinging stock moved in a frame between 15% and 20%. The stock was to define the frame exactly and be sure the stock did not move decisively below the lower edge of the box. If it did, I sold it at once because it was not acting right. While it stayed within its box, I considered a reaction from 50 to 55 to 50 as quite normal. It did not mean to me that the stock was going to fall back, just the contrary. Before a dancer leaps into the air, he goes into the coach to set himself for the spring. I found it was the same with stock. They usually did not suddenly shoot up from 50 to 70. In other words, I considered that the stock in upward trend that react to 45 after reaching 50 was like a dancing crunch ready for the spring up. Later, when I had more experience, I also learned that this 45 position is in a stock after 50 high point has another important benefit. It shakes out the weak and frightening stockholder who mistake this reaction for a drop and enable the stock to advance more rapidly. I came to see that when a stock was on a definite upward trend, there was a feeling of proportional about its advance. If it was on its way rising from let's, let us say 50 to 70 but occasionally dropping back that was all part of the right rim. It might have gone like this 50, 52, 57, 58, 60, 55, 52, 56. That meant it was in the box 52 upon 60 box. After this, in on an upward swing, it might have gone 58, 61, 66, 70, 66, 63, 66. This meant it was well inside the 63 upon 70 box. I also considered that it was still edging towards higher spheres. The major problem still remained. What was the right time to buy into it? Logically, it was the moment when it entered 
the new higher boxes. They seem quite simple until the phase case of Louisiana land and exploration proved it was not. For weeks, I watched the behavior of this stock and saw it form its pyramiding boxes. When the upper frame of its last box was 59, I felt I had assessed it correctly. I told the broker to telephone me when I it reached when it reached 61, which I considered the door of its new box. He did, but I was not in my hotel room when the call came. It took him two hours to reach me. By the time it did, the stock was quoted at 63. I was disappointed. I felt I had been deprived of a great opportunity. I was angry at the way it has passed me at 61. And when I went, it went to 63 in such a short time, I was certain I had missed a very good thing. Good reason desert me, deserted me in my excitement. I would have paid any price for this stock in my atheism. I just had to get into a stock which I thought was going up into a fabulous price. Up it went 63, 64, 65. I was right. I had judged it correctly and I, has, I had missed it. I could not wait any longer. I bought 100 shares at 65 at the top of its new boxes because I had missed it at the bottom. Although I was improving in my selection and method, I was still somewhat of a baby in the mechanics of a Wall Street. So I placed my profit before the broker, which had unfortunately missed me. He told me I should have put in an automatic on-stop buy order. This meant the stock would have been bought when it rose to 61. He suggested that whenever I made a decision about a stock, I should put in a buy order at a named figure. Then the stock would be bought for me without further consultation if the market reached this figure. This I agreed to do. My problem of buying automatically at what I thought was the right time was settled. By this time, my box theory and its form of application were firmly planted in my mind and on three consecutive occasions, I used it successfully. I bought Ludlum Steel when it appeared to me to be going into 45 upon 50 box. I bought 200 share at 45 and sold them three weeks later at 51. I also bought 300 share of Dresser Industrials when it seemed to be entering the 84 upon 92 box. I bought at 84 but as it did not seem to be making the right progress through the box I sold at 86. Then I bought 300 share of copper Besmer at the bottom edge of the 40 upon 45 box at 40 and sold it at 45. My profit on these three transactions was 2442. This gave me a great deal of confidence but then I received a slap in the face which proved to me that I was needed more than a theory alone. In August, I bought 500 share of North American Evesh at 94 because I was sure it was about to establish in a, itself in a newer box over 100. It did not. Almost immediately, it turned around and started to fall back. 
I could have sold it when it gave up a point. I could have done the same when it lost another point, but I decided against it and stubbornly held on. My pride did not let me act. The prestige of my theory was at stake. I just kept saying, this stock cannot be go down any further. I did not know what I learned later, that there is no such thing as cannot in the market. Any stock can do anything. By the end of the next week, the profit from my three previous operations was gone. I was back when I had started. This experience, as I see it, was an important turning point of my stock market career. It was at this point that I finally realized that there is no sure thing in the market. I was bound to be wrong half of the time. Bound to be wrong half of the time. I must accept this fact and readjust myself accordingly. My pride and ego would have to be stubbed. I must become an impartial diagnostician who does not identify himself with any theory or stock. I cannot merely take chances. First, I had to reduce my risk as far as humanly possible. The first step I took in that direction was to adopt what I called my quick loss weapon. I already knew that I would be wrong half of the time. Why? not accept my mistake realistically and sell immediately at a small loss. If I bought a stock at 25, why not at the same time order the stock to be sold if it turned below 24? I decided to give on-stop order to buy at a certain figure with an automatic stop loss order on them in case the stock went down. This way I figured I would never sleep with the loss. If any of my stock went below the price, I thought they should. I would not own them when I went to bed that night. I knew that many times I would be stopped out for the shake of a point just to see my stock climb up immediately after. But I realized that this was not so important as stopping the big losses. Besides, I would always buy back the stocks by paying a higher price. Then I took the second equally important step. I knew that being right half of the time was not the answer to success. I began to understand how I could break even and still go broke. If I invested about $10,000 and I operated in a medium price stock, each operation would cost me approximately $125 in commission every time. I bought a stock and another 125 every time I sold it. Let, I, let us suppose I was right half of the time. At 250, a deal I had only to trade 40 times without taking a real loss and I had lost my capital. It would be completely eroded by the commissions. This is how the commission mice would nimble away at each operation and would finally eat up my money. There was only one answer to this danger. My profit had to be bigger than my losses. I had learned from, my, from experience that my most difficult problem was to discipline myself not to sell a rising stock too quickly. I always sold too quickly because I am a coward. Whenever I bought a stock at 25 and it rose to 30, 
I became so worried it might go back that I sold it. I knew the right thing to do, but in I invariably I did the opposite. I decided that since I could not train myself not to get scared every time, it was better to adopt another method. Hold on a rising stock, but at the same time keep raising my stop loss order parallel with its rise. I would keep it at such a distance that a meaningless swing in the price would not touch it off. If, however, the stock really turned around and began to drop, I would be sold out immediately. This way, the market would never be able to get more and a fraction of my profit away. And how to determine when to take profit? I realized that I would not be able to sell at the top. Anyone who claimed he can con- consistently do this is lying. If I sold while the stock was rising, it would be pure guess because I could not know how far an advance might carry. This would be no clev- cleverer a guess than anticipation. You could also guess it would go off after 300 or 400 performance. Why did it not go off at any o- any of these figures? Because the producer would be a fool to close the show when he sees the theater full every night. It is only when he starts to notice empty seat that he considered closing the show. I carried the Broadway comparison through to the problem of selling. I would be a fool to sell a stock as long as it keeps advancing. When to sell then? Why, when the boxes started to go into reverse, when the pyramid started to tumble downward, that was the time to close the shoe and sell out. My trailing stop loss, which I moved up behind the rising price of the stock, should take care of it automatically. Having made this decision, I then sat back and refined my objective in the market. Right stocks, right timing small losses, big profits. I examined my weapon, price and volume, box theory, automatic buy order, stop loss sell order. As to my basic strategy, I decided I would always do this. I would just jog along with an upward trend, trailing my stop loss insurance behind me. As the trend continued, I would buy more. When the trend reversed, I would run like a thief. I realized that there were a great many snacks. There was bound to be a lot of guesswork in the operation. My estimate that I would be wrong right half of the time could be optimistic. But at last I saw my problem more clearly than ever. I knew that I had to adopt a cold, unemotional attitude towards stocks that I must not, not fall in love with them when they rose and I must not get angry when they fell. That there are no such animal as good or bad stock. There are only rising and falling stocks and I should hold the rising one and sell those that fall. I knew that to do this I had to achieve something much more difficult than anything before. I had to bring my emotion, fear, hope and greed under complete control. I had no doubt that this would require a 
great amount of self-discipline, but I felt like a man who knew a room could be lit up and was fumbling for our switches.